0: Welcome to the Arise Church Podcast. At Arise, we're a community of imperfect people pursuing and experiencing a transformative relationship with Jesus and one another. For more information, you can find us online at ariseonline.org. Thanks for listening. Good morning. My name is Mike. I'm the Worship and Grow Pastor. Here at Arise Church, I want to thank you guys for joining us. If you are new with us, just, yeah, thanks for for being a part of uh, our community this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, will you turn with me to the book of Romans? We're going to be in Romans uh, chapter 12, and we're going to spend our time in verses 9 through 13 today. Now, we began this series called We Are just a couple weeks ago. And these we are statements, these value statements that we have are, are, are the things that we care about the most here at, at Arise Church. Week one, we began with the fact that we are gospel-centered. We are gospel-centered. We are Bible-believing, transformed by the gospel people. So this shouldn't be just something that we care about, though, when we talk about coming into this building it shouldn't be something that we care about when it comes to thinking of just the church gathered together on Sundays. This should be the flag that we fly over all of our life that we are gospel centered. We want to be like that kid who just picked up a guitar for the first time and learned how to play Smoke on the Water. So every time that kid picks up the guitar, you know for sure what song you're going to hear. It's going to be Smoke on the Water. This should be the truth for us when it comes to being gospel-centered in our life, and I believe this shouldn't be something that we feel bad about. This should be something that we are proud to say about ourselves, that we are gospel-centered. We're going to harp on that every single week. We're going to keep banging that drum every single day. We are gospel-centered. This is the flag that we fly, and it is Under that flag, that the next three values that we are going to talk about kind of are kind of underneath, that kind of flow from our gospel centeredness. Last week, we looked at the idea that we are worship focused because you and I were created to worship. The simple fact is that we all are worshiping something. And if we Jump back to, to week one of our series, you may remember this, this idea, the thing that we will find ourselves worshiping is the thing that we find most satisfaction in in our lives. So if we take a, a closer look at our life, what we worship is probably evident to the people around us. The people in your circle know what it is that you find satisfaction in, what it, what it is that you find your, your identity in. And even though the answer should be simple for us as believers, we know that our satisfaction should be found in God. This is not always evident in our lives. Chances are, if this is not evident in our lives, that we've begun worshiping creation over the Creator. So may we continue to look closely at our lives, to see what it is we find our satisfaction in. Because the only one, who deserves to receive all glory and honor. Every bit of worship belongs to the maker of all things. We worship him with our lives. We do this by glorifying him. We do this by enjoying him forever. We do this in prayer. We do this through giving of our offering. We do this by singing together. We do this by singing in our car alone. We do this during communion. We do this standing in the checkout line at the grocery store. We do this in our everyday lives by bringing glory to God in every situation that we find ourselves in. We are gospel-centered. We are worship-focused, and this brings us to today. Today we're going to look at another value that we have, and that is that we are community-rooted. We are community-rooted. And I'd like to start by reading our text this morning, Romans chapter 12, Verses 9 through 13. Will you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We are in awe of you this morning. God, I ask for each one of us that you would swell our hearts up to love you more. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful that there is power in your word. God, I ask that you would use your word to teach us, to train us, to convict us. Because of your word, that, that you would be magnified in each one of our lives. We ask all of these things in your name. Amen. You may be seated. We are community-rooted. Now, I think oftentimes when we hear this topic of community being taught on, it tends to be something that is done that kind of assumes that either we already are in community and know the importance of it, or that because of the fact that we did a sermon series that had this topic, that all of a sudden, magically, everyone's just going to file out of the room and join a life group right away. I've been in ministry long enough to know that that's not the case. So I don't want to start this morning with that preconceived idea. So the first thing I want to talk about with community is that community is messy. Community is messy. Maybe this isn't the greatest way to begin a pitch for how important community is, but the simple fact is that community is messy. To gather together with people who are much different than ourselves. They have different interests. To be open, to be vulnerable in front of other people. For you introverts out there, this comes with a whole other assortment of fears that can plague, plague us from even trying to be a part of community. You guys don't know my family all that well yet, but if you haven't picked up on this small thing, which you probably have, I'm an introvert, married to an extrovert my wife gets energized by conversations she's all about hospitality and she married a guy who although I do love a good conversation this will eventually begin to drain me she married a guy who will on a vacation day go to the movies by myself which is something that makes absolutely zero sense to her Jess and I have been married for eight years. Eight years ago, the idea of having people over to my home to make small talk was not a winning idea in my book. But realizing quickly that this was something that my wife loved, I needed to not stand in the way of something that God had gifted her with the desire for and, frankly, the awesome ability of. But what began as truly just trying to be a good husband began to change. What was a daunting thought of having people in my home and the conversations that would happen started to kind of become okay, which was a huge breakthrough in my life. This idea of hospitality has really started to take root in me. This idea of hospitality has stuck with me over the last several years in my life. Donald Zimmerman says that the most life-giving thing that we have to offer other people is our transformed and transforming presence. Because the ways Jesus has changed our hearts and our lives to, to more closely reflect who God has made us to be, that same kind of transformative power is offered to others because other than the hope in Jesus, that's the most important thing that we bring to the table. So when we have people over, when we bring people to the table, to our table, to, we want this to be a place, a space where true community happens, space where people can feel that they can just rest, that they can catch their breath, where they can hear some good news, where they can be known. Jesus modeled this all over the place in his ministry. A lot of his ministry happened at the table, in people's homes, in the lives of others. When I have people over to my house and Jess has prepared a meal for us, our desire must be, That we want the food prepared to be a taste of God's lavish and kind provision. Even more than that, we should have this desire in us. That guests and strangers would come to know Jesus. To see him in the person that they're in conversation with across the table from each other. Hospitality is a practice that is cultivated. And it should be cultivated for God's glory. It should be cultivated for our good. It should be cultivated for others. It's an invitation to worship the one who invites us in, who feeds us, who listens to us, who knows us, and who provides for us. It's an opportunity to receive the kingdom, and then pass a taste of it along to others around the table. My prayer for this morning is that it will be a challenge for the way we think about community. Because you and I were all created by God to be in community with one another. We saw this in the very first book of the Bible, in Genesis 2, it was not good for man to be alone alone. And this was not just to reflect that only man needed a woman, but the fact that we needed relationships with one another. Now, anytime I've begun a conversation with people about the need for community, it often feels that that people feel that if they accept the need for community, that was somehow showing weakness, some kind of fatal flaw in humanity. Because we don't want to need others. We can do it on our own. But the truth is, our need for community does not show a weakness at all. But rather, it reflects the divine mark left upon us. We need community because we were made in the image of God, who has forever existed as Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God has always known the love of communion within himself. And if you claim the name of Christ, you know all the more that that love and communion is necessary for us with other believers. Because without community, we will begin to grow weak. And the light of Christ will not show as brightly in our lives as God has intended for us. So let's look at our text again, Romans 12 starting in verse 9. Let love be genuine. Let love be genuine. This translates out two different ways in Greek. One is the more positive way of looking at it. The other is the more negative. The ESV version that we just read has the more positive language that comes out of this. To be genuine, but it can also be translated in a more negative way, saying, let love be without hypocrisy. What does this word mean? The definition simply says it's the practice of claiming to have moral standards or beliefs to which one's own behaviors do not conform. So simply put, it's pretending. Pretending to be something that you're not. Let's bring it into the church church world here. Because we can pretend that we're walking with Jesus and knowing him intimately and we're walking with him passionately, when maybe that's not the case at all. When we walk into the church building, when we get around our Christian friends or even in our life group, we can put on an act that we are passionate about the things of God when this may be very far from true for us. This is pretending. The scripture says that the church cannot afford to play this game. The church cannot afford to be filled with men and women who understand what a changed heart looks like and then begin to play that part rather than digging into the core of what this really means for us. John Calvin said this, It is difficult to express how, in, how ingenious almost all men are in counterfeiting a love which they do not really possess." They deceive not only others, but also themselves, while they they persuade themselves that they have a true love for those whom they not only treat with neglect, but also, in fact, reject. Let love be genuine. Let love be without hypocrisy. This is more than a nice-sounding verse. This is a must in our lives. In order to receive love in order for you to feel a part in order for you to walk in genuine community in order for you to grow into the fullness of christ we can't be pretenders our love must be genuine let love be genuine abhor what is evil hold fast to what is good here's where our passions come into play because if we love evil we'll do evil. If we hate evil, we will refrain from evil. And at the same time, we are to hold fast to what is good, not merely approving of it or noticing it when it goes by, but to grab it, to hang on to it, to cling to it with all our might. Verse 10, love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. This is not optional for believers. It not only is required, but it is inescapable. 1 John chapter 5, whoever loves the father loves the child born of him. But what about brotherly affection? If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, you are a son or daughter of God, and as a gathered church community, we are family. Brotherly love simply reflects the nature of a son and daughter of God. That is why Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. The true child of God knows intuitively that he is to love his spiritual brothers and sisters. 1 John 2, The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. I love how Matt Chandler put this, brotherly affection begins to flow through a place where no one is pretending that they're more than they are. If anyone, or if anything, when, when people finally walk into a small group setting or get into a Christian setting or into the church building, we should feel the freedom to say, I can't beat this. It is owning me and I hate it. And through tears and almost rage about the sin in their lives, they can say, I hate this. I hate this. I hate this. Christ, help me. It creates in us a longing and desire to see healing and wholeness in him. Because once brotherly affection takes root, the honor part is easy. To outdo each other in giving honor. It's not a game of flattery. It's not puffing each other up or to give hypocritical praises in order to then receive those praises back. Or we don't say those things just so we can gain favor with them and maybe they'll, they'll hit us back later on. Honor has the opposite in mind. To honor is to show genuine appreciation and admiration for one another in the family of God. So this kind of flies in the face of our personal pride. Even though there's nothing wrong with wanting to be honored, we must be able to, at the same time, rejoice in any honor that our brothers and sisters may get. Verse 11, Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit, Serve the Lord. So zeal is speaking of having enthusiasm or lots of energy in the pursuit of a cause. So this passage wants us to be filled with zeal, but that zeal, that that fervency being put into serving the Lord. The word fervent is from a verb meaning to boil, or better yet, the bubbling over. We want our passion, our excitement, our energy of the joy and hope and the life that we found in Christ to not be contained, but to become bubbling over, spilling into our everyday lives. We want our life to radiate the light of Christ, that the warmth and glow is seen vividly in us. I think most of us in our life, have someone that when I talk about zeal and fervency, you know, you know someone like that. Those people who you're just kind of drawn to because of how deeply and obvious it is that they love Jesus with everything that they have. Because when I meet those people who have that zeal, it can kind of begin to tame the, the cynic inside of me. Because if I don't have those people around me, I will miss some beautiful things happening around me. But when I get someone around me who is just walking, who is fervent in their walk with the Lord, those things that I missed, those beautiful things happening in my life that I missed, all of a sudden my eyes will begin to see some of those things. Because zeal is contagious. Because it spills out into our everyday life. It spills out everywhere we walk. And if you are to be a light in the world around us, we need to ask God to grow our fervency for him. And you know a way that this happens all the more? is in community. In community with other believers, we can begin to help each other see things that God is doing in each other's lives. Things that we may have missed on our own. And as we begin to see the things of God grow in our lives, we will begin to see our love and our passion become larger and larger for the things of God. Look at verse 12. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. Paul here is binding us to repeated praise for our blessed hope of salvation. Even when present circumstances may be tough, if we're going through those trials and tribulations, This present strength in time of trouble results from a wholehearted and unceasing prayer life. It's not the result of human stamina that we can stand fast. Rather, it is our standing in the need of grace and mercy that causes our devotion for prayer. To be devoted means to bitterly be strong towards something. And with it, it carries this idea of steadfastness and unwavering. It was with such devotion that the prayers that the early Christians prayed were done in worship. In the same way, our lives as followers of Jesus should be in constant prayer. It should be a, as natural to our spiritual life as breathing is to our physical life. Let's read our text again. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. In verse 13 contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality this idea of biblical hospitality is when we begin to treat outsiders like insiders it's when we begin to treat outsiders like insiders if you think about it you and i were once outsiders but we've been welcomed into the kingdom of God, now made insiders. Dwell on that for a moment. We once were outsiders, now brought in to the family of God. Now we're insiders. This should feel like a privilege and a responsibility. In the book, The Life of the Church by Joe Thorne, he speaks about three different aspects of community that I want to touch on this morning. The first one is that we are saved to community. We are saved to community. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, it says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you, out of darkness, into his marvelous light. once you were not a people, but now you are God's people, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Now while this speaks of our salvation found in Christ, which includes our, our new identity, our new heart and spirit, our redemption is not only a rescue for us individually. Our deliverance was also as a people from the domain of darkness. Because once we were enemies of God, now brought into the family of God. We are saved by grace through faith into union with Christ and communion with his people. Number two, we were saved, sanctified in community. Sanctified in community. God has promised to sanctify his people. And just like we cannot be saved apart from the word and his spirit, we can find, we can't find spiritual growth apart from his word and his spirit. Now the community of faith is what forms and reforms the Christian. Believers are formed by the instruction from the word of God and by the fellowship and the accountability found in community. We are saved to community, we are sanctified in community, and last we are serving in community. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 Verses 9 through 11, it says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we might live with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. Through life groups, in other friendships that we have here at the church, is where we can begin to fulfill God's call in our lives. But it really must be done in smaller groups because if we only meet together on a Sunday morning, we can never carry out the the one another passages that are sprinkled all throughout the New Testament, two of which we looked at this morning in our text. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. A few other ones... Hebrews 10, stir up one another to love and good works. James 5, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. And this is just a few of them. They're all throughout the New Testament. Now, we can do some of these when we gather together. And we should do some of these when we gather together. But we can only do them in part on a Sunday morning gathering. This is the importance of community. We need community because we were created for it. Without it, we cannot express, we cannot experience the life that God has intended for us to live because in isolation we will find that our faith will begin to flounder. We have been saved to community. We are sanctified in community. We should be serving in community because it is in this that we can truly love one another. It's in community that we can grow with one another. It is in community that we can worship alongside one another. It's in community that we can go with one another. When we do this, the life that we found in the light of Christ will begin to shine into every corner, every space, every part of our life. We are community rooted. Let's pray together. God, thank you that we could gather together here as the church God will you would you put the desire on each one of our lives the desire to be in community with one another God If we are already a part of community, but we find ourselves pretending, would you give us the courage to speak about it? If there's an area in our lives that we are walking in unbelief. would you would you intervene would you draw us back would you remind us of who it is we serve let life groups let community be Be a place in our lives where we can be known, but that we can be truly known. May it be a place that it's alright if we're not alright. God, I ask that all of our groups that are are currently meeting and those that have, have yet to begin but will begin. that we allow them to be messy, to not feel the need to clean those things up, but that you would use this, this space and the space in our homes as a place where we can bring glory to you, bring honor to you, to worship you, we can begin to live in our gospel identity we are gospel centered God we ask these things from you we know that you love us more than we even know may we dwell on that this morning and let us worship you well it's in your name we pray Amen